Amen. Can we give the Lord, yes, another round of applause. Okay, how you doing? Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Those who are gathering with us online as well, we uh, count that a high privilege that you're here with us this morning, worshiping with us. And uh, even as I met some that were coming in, I met some who it was their uh, first time here. And so if it's your first time here again, we just say uh, thank you for being here. We pray that you felt uh, the love of Jesus as you walked in the door. That is always uh, our prayer. But as I've said each week, let me say again, no coincidence, right? So however we got here today, you're here. Can I get an amen? Amen. So regardless of the week, regardless of, you know, who you researched online, what church to attend, we're here today. And God has ordained this time together. And we believe that he has something in store for us. So thank you uh, for being here. Take your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, and turn with me to first. Samuel. We're going to go to 1 Samuel. And so over these next two weeks, we're going to kind of split up uh, two characters because I don't think you can really care, uh, separate the two. For those of you who have been new or new to us, we've been working through this series of Old Testament faith. So it started out in Hebrews 11. If you go to Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews 11 is answering the question of, well, what about the Old Testament, right? Paul has talked about all through Romans, it's faith alone. It's faith alone. It's not faith plus an ordinance. It's not faith plus baptism. It's not faith of anything on the outside. It's faith in Jesus alone. If you believe that, say amen, amen? amen. That it's Christ alone. And so as you come to Hebrews, the author is saying, well, it's always been faith, right? You go back to Adam, you go back to Noah, Moses, Abraham, like it's always been faith. And you have God's hall of faith there. You have listed in, you know, really those verses of individuals who have gone before us. It's really the, the picture of Romans 15, 6, where he says, those who have come before us are written for our benefit through the patience and comfort of scripture, we might have hope. And so we look at these characters and we see the same God that we serve. And so we understand that as we're talking about faith, yeah, there's faith demonstrated throughout by men and women throughout these stories. But ultimately what we're celebrating is the faith of our God, the faithfulness of God towards us, that in spite of us, God is faithful, that in spite of us, God continues to do the plan that he has in store. He invites us and allows us to be a part of it. And so as we go into when we study these, these stories, I've been challenged. And as I, I stand before you again to tell you, put yourself in the shoes of, of these individuals without kind of, you know, try not to connect the dots yet. Because for many of us, have, you know, who grew up in the church and a lot of these stories, whether it's Daniel or Noah or Moses or whatever, we, we know the story. And I think sometimes the danger is kind of missing the conflict in the midst of it, the struggle in the midst of it, the requirement of faith in the midst of it. Because we know what, Hebrews 11, 1, we've been looking at these two verses every week. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, faith is the substance. So, so it comes down to what are you putting your faith in? What's the substance that you're putting your faith in? Can you say that my faith is in the God of this book right here? Whether I can see it, whether I can understand it, I trust it. And then it says this, the evidence of things not seen. You go down to verse six, right? And it says what? Without faith, it is, say the word with me, it is, hear that this morning, right? We're here, we desire, we desire to glorify the Lord. I would assume you're here at church on a Sunday morning. You could be anywhere you wanted to be, but you're here this morning. And so hear this verse that for all of us, there's a place of faith that God is calling us to. In every individual life in this room, right, there is a place that God is calling us to trust him where we can't see. And he's glorified in that. Look at what it says. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder 
of those who diligently seek him. Take your Bibles if you would and stand with me. We're going to 1 Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 3 for our initial reading. But what we're going to do with these next two weeks is really chapter 1 this morning. Obviously, it's the story of Hannah. Chapter 2 is the prayer of Hannah. Chapter 3 is the calling of Samuel. Now, this is the transition in the life of God's people from the judges to the king. And so you can really take the Old Testament and kind of split it into four different categories, right? We have the law, that's the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I know many of you spend time there in your quiet time. That's the Torah, that's the law, right? And then we come to the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then you get to the, the two books for Consecutive Samuel, for Second Kings, for Second Chronicles. Then you get to poetry, right? You've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, you've got Song of Solomon. Then you get to the prophets. So you can kind of break it up into those four categories. But what we have here is the transition of really the judges to the king, right? The Bible tells us if you go back here at 1 Samuel, I'm just going to stay. I, I love preaching all while you're standing. I'm just going to have you stand the whole time. Is that cool? <laughs> I like y'all better this way. I'm just kidding. I'll have you sit in a second. But before we go to 1 Samuel 3, go back a page, two pages, three pages, more than that, and go to the end of Judges. It's about three pages over. And it's the last verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It's the last verse before you get to Ruth. Listen to the setting of what we're talking about. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So now let's go to 1 Samuel 3. Samuel being the last judge, as you know, now the prophet to anoint it. You go to 1 Samuel, there's really three main characters, Samuel, Saul, David. And so this is the transition from a theocracy to a monarchy, basically. And so it's a big transition in the life of God's people, but he uses this young man, Samuel. Many of you know the story already, but we're going to talk about Hannah, and then we're going to talk about the calling of Samuel over these next two weeks. But listen to what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and just listen to the words of this young man. Now the Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. Let me repeat that. Speak. For your servant hears. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, that is our prayer that, Lord, as we walk with you, as we, as we grow in you, Lord, that our hearts would be in tune to you. Lord, that is our prayer that in the distractions of this world, with so much noise around us, Lord, we pray that the voice of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, and you have promised that to every born-again child of God in this room who has professed Jesus as their Savior, who have turned from their sins, you have promised an amazing miracle that your spirit indwells us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not this building, it's not the bricks, it's your people. And we thank you for that. Lord, we recognize that it's by faith that we please you every day. It's by faith that we know you and it's by faith that we grow in you. And Lord, I know in this room, there are many who have been called to places of faith where they can't see, they can't understand. They're in a storm in their life, maybe in the darkest season they've ever been in. But Lord, we know you are a God that holds your promises. Not one can be broken. And so, Lord, this morning, even the character of Hannah, a mom, may we see her cries, but may we see the way that she lays these things at your feet. We pray and we ask in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So it's out of message, speak for your servant hears. Now, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Ladies, can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. Right, guys, we're listening, but we're kind of listening for you to be done. I'm just kidding. I did not say that. I did not say that. It's like the guy that had the T-shirt that says, my wife says I never listen, and then underneath it says, or something like that. Like, I saw that the other day. So it's been said that, like, in a typical day, women speak 20,000 words 
a day. Men on average, on average, I've, I've met some that speak 50, but on average men speak, how many would you say? 7,000 words a day. So three times more the ladies. And so when I brought this to Amber, she said, well, you know why that is? Cause y'all don't listen. It takes three times, <laughs> takes three times for us to get across in your knucklehead what we're trying to say. To that I say, amen. amen. So there's a difference. So, so the, the message now is on marriage. We've now transitioned to marriage. I'm just kidding. We're not speaking on marriage this morning. But there's a difference between listening and hearing. And that's been an old debate back in the days of, of you're, you're listening to something, but are you really hearing it? And, and let's be real, like as God's people, the same thing can happen, right? Like even on a Sunday morning, we can listen to a message or even in your own personal quiet time, you can try to listen to what the verse is, but are, are our hearts really in tune to hear? That Lord, in the midst of the noise, and let's be real, like not just our young people, but for everybody, especially our young people, the noise in this world is the loudest it's ever been. I would dare to say, if you agree, say amen, amen. There's more distractions today. There's more things at your fingertips. At least when I was younger, you had to work for things. If I was younger and you chose to go the wrong path, you kind of had to take some steps to get there. Nowadays, it's right in front of you. And so we understand there's a lot of distractions in our world, right? And if we are a born again child of God, we're trying to live for something more than just the now. Like we're trying to live for something more than just getting through my day and white knuckling my day and being a good mom or being a good dad and just trying to fulfill my calendar and my agenda. We know that this life is more than that. That's why we say all throughout this building, live for more. Like it's more than just the temporary things of this world, right? The Bible says that these things will pass away. If you believe it, say amen, amen. But we get to live for something more. We can live for the eternal things. But the battle is what? Every single day in the trenches, a child of God is trying to seek the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord. But there are a lot of distractions. And a lot of times you don't even have to get outside of your own self for those distractions. My flesh is a distraction. My mind is a distraction. Ministry can be a distraction. The enemy does not care what it is, as long as it's not Jesus. And so we recognize that in this battle every day, right, that, that faith is required, but right, that there's a journey there. We've talked about this through this, you know, through this season, that we're never idle before the Lord. And again, I remember hearing that as a teenager and challenging that. But the older I've grown and the more I've been in ministry, I believe that that, that is true. We're never idle before the Lord. Why? Because there's a drift in all of us. We have the drift of our flesh, the drift of this world. And so if we're not intentional in seeking the Lord and saying, okay, Lord, block out the distractions and let this be the loudest truth in my life, then we'll never hear what God has to say. And there's a difference between listening and hearing. And so this morning, we're gonna go back 3,000 years, okay? I know we've kind of jumped around through this series and I warned y'all about that ahead of time that we weren't gonna walk in chronological order so you cannot hold me accountable for that because I told you that. And if I didn't, I will claim that I did it in a service that wasn't recorded. I told you guys that we we're gonna go all over the place. And so now we're going back to this transitional period in the life of God's people where they're like, hey, we want a king. The Bible tells us the setting, right? That in the setting of these judges that people were just doing whatever they wanted to in their own eyes. God raises up this young man, but before he raises up this young man, he has to do a work in the heart of a mother. A lot of times we preach on hand on Mother's Day. Now, I know it's not Mother's Day, but I pray you see, now as a parent, I pray that you see the heart of this lady as she cries out to the Lord. Take your Bibles if you would, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let me read this quote as we prepare to walk through this story. 
I saw this this past week. I thought it was so good. It says this, there is hardly ever a complete silence in our soul. God is always whispering to us whenever the sounds of the world die out and our soul are sink low, then we hear these whisperings of God. He is always whispering to us, only we do not always hear because of the noise, hurry, and distraction which life causes as it rushes on. Right, think about it. What is the attack of the enemy? I believe this, like once an individual gives their heart and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe we are sealed, we are secured. There's nothing the enemy can do according to Jesus that can pluck us from the hand of God. If you believe that, say amen, amen. That gives me security, right? That I'm not working today so that God keeps me. God keeps me because of the perfect love of Jesus Christ. He doesn't love me more today if I do good and love me less today if I do wrong. He loves me perfectly because he gave me his son. So that's the starting point. However, we now know that the enemy changes his tactics, I believe. If the enemy looks at a child of God and says, okay, we can't do anything to rob them of their soul. They're going to heaven. They're secure. They're sealed in the blood of Jesus. So let's keep them from fulfilling God's plan. Let's keep them from walking according to God's purpose. Let's keep them from being used in the kingdom of God. So I believe the tactics change when it comes to spiritual warfare. As you go to Ephesians 6, you see that this is a constant thing in the life of the believer. And so to be in tune to that, right, to recognize, okay, today's a battle. I'm not going to be oblivious to that. I'm going to be intentional in recognizing that I'm walking in a war zone. And that just as I have a God who loves me and has something special for me, I have an enemy that seeks to destroy me, my marriage, my family, my children, my grandchildren. And there's a ripple effect. By the way, I don't have any grandchildren yet. I'm talking about in the future. There's a ripple effect. There's a ripple effect to faithfulness, and there's a ripple effect to unfaithfulness. It never just affects the individual. Hear this this morning. As parents, hear this this morning. There's a ripple effect that flows, and we don't always know where that goes and how that goes. But it's the truth of God's word. His truth does not return void. So when we're living that, we're walking that. But the battle to try to get life to be louder than the voice of God, to try to get your doubts louder than the voice of God, to try to get your pain, anyone in here in chronic pain, to try to get anything that can become an idol so that your eyes look through that lens before you get to the truth of who God is. So let's look at this lady and her circumstances. And it's so... It's a situation that we see throughout the Old Testament. Now, a lot of times we see passages where ladies are barren, right? We see Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, the mother of Samson, Zechariah and Elizabeth. As you get to the New Testament, the parents of John the Baptist, you see the story. Because you got to go back to this and understand, this is not just a personal thing. This is not just a lady saying, I want a baby God. There's a theological issue here. If you go back and you study Deuteronomy, the Bible says that God promised his children open wombs that he promised them that he would multiply the nations through them. And so for a lady to have her womb closed, according to God's word, was not just this personal thing, it was a theological issue between her and her God. The promise is there, but I don't see it in my life. Does it sound familiar? The promise is there, but I'm trying to see it in the details of my struggle. Can I trust when I don't see it. Let's go here. First Samuel chapter one. We're gonna be introduced to six characters here. Eli, the high priest, his two knucklehead sons, you're gonna learn about, Hophni and Phinehas. They're the reasons why God kind of transitions this time uh, through the judges, even to uh, Saul, the first king. Then you're gonna have Elkanah, he's the husband, Hannah, who's the wife. And then you're gonna have this mean lady, Penina. Don't marry, don't, don't, don't name your child Penina. Here we go, look at what it says. 
I apologize if anyone in here is named Penina. <laughs> name her Grace, name her Hannah, it means Grace. Here we go. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim, basically an unknown area, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanai, the sons of Jeraham, the sons of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. Can I get an amen? We can just go home after that passage right there, because that just stirs your soul right there. <laughs> like you read that, right? This is what God's Word does so many times, right? You read a verse and you're like, oh, that just sounds kind of… Do you realize the magnitude of really what's even happening here, that God is raising up this man with this wife who is barren to be the transition. She will be the mom of the, of the prophet, the last judge who will anoint the first king, Saul, and then the line that will go to David, and then the line that would go to the Messiah. So it's just a verse that you read, but one of the things I love about this is God takes the ordinary and he does the extraordinary, right? There's nothing special. They don't come from royalty. They don't come from a family that is known. The Bible just says, this is the dude and this is the place where it's from and gives us no any other information other than that. I love that. Verse two, and he had two wives. Let me stop there. <laughs> Bible speaks of polygamy and never, it, it never condones polygamy. You will never find that in scripture. It will report it. Just as you go to the New Testament, sometimes we can struggle with the passages of slavery, where the Bible's not condoning slavery, but in the setting of these individuals, God's word is being written to where they are. And so in that context, God's word is being written to say, this is how you navigate to glorify the Lord in this setting. And so the Bible's just reporting it, it's not condoning it. And what you find in the Old Testament, anytime you find polygamy, you find issues, every single time, you will not find some positive situation that comes out of it. Many times it's the backdrop, the darkness that God brings the light into. So let me just say that. Plus, by the way, more than one wife, how exhausting. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> Can I just be real? I love you, Amber, but I told her I got 19 women in one. I'm sorry. Here we go. Here we go. Verse three. <laughs> Marriage counseling after the service. He had two wives, the name of one was Hannah and the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So the picture here, if you go a little bit digger, Hannah's the first wife. She's the love, Elkanai says he, he prefers her, right? The problem is she can't have kids. Second wife comes along, she just starts having babies, right? So now here's the situation. You have a lady who is barren, you have another one who's just having babies, and it goes negative. This man went up from his city yearly, hear this, to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, these are the corrupt sons of the high priest, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. Now we understand when the Bible says when we get to chapter three, when it talks about there's been this silence, that there's been this gap before God has spoken, the reason is because of the corruption. We know that part of what God's going to do here in raising up Samuel is give him prophecy, give him a vision, a voice, an audible voice to tell him that, hey, there's gonna be a transition here. There's corruption in the house of the high priest and it's the sons. The sons were having sex with women. The sons were taking the food that were brought to the Lord and they were taking it themselves. I mean, these were bad dudes and this is why God does what he does. You then have Elkanai, the husband, Hannah, and then Paniah, here we go. And whenever the time came for Elkanai to make an offering, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb. We see this throughout the Old Testament. And her rival also, hear this, provoked her severely to make her miserable. 
because the Lord had closed her womb. But here it is, verse seven. So it was year by year, don't miss that. Year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. I want you to see a couple of things here, right? First of all, we see what's happening. We have to receive the Bible as it is written. I remember my seminary professor would say this all the time, that you have to read God's word in the way that was written. What does that mean? You read a letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus, a little bit different than you do a, a story, a narrative like this, right? Just as, just as we would read a textbook different than a history book. We read those two things differently. In a textbook, right, we read line by line and we find definition. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? When it comes to a literary uh, uh, section, we have to take the whole. And then after you take the whole, then you say, okay, well, then what does this mean as a whole? Well, we see this situation. She's in a tough spot. Can you imagine? Some of you probably can't. Some of you may be there this morning where you're in a situation, you're crying out to God, but I want you to see something. It doesn't stop her worship. She continues to go year by year. Don't miss this. You want to talk about joy. You want to talk about peace. Keep worshiping and praising the Lord in your doubts. Let me tell you something, man. It's the secret sauce. I'm just going to tell you. It's the secret sauce. That's why Jesus said when they said, teach us to pray, what does he say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the starting point. The starting point is praise. And what you find in the life of Hannah is even in the midst of this situation, even in the midst of her struggle, even though it says that her soul was downcast, she's still praising. She's still seeking. She's not going the other way. She didn't say, hey, no, y'all go and I'll stay behind. No, y'all go, I got a bone to pick with God. She doesn't do that. She says, Lord, in the midst of my questions, in the midst of my doubts, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my enemy who is provoking me, I'm gonna keep seeking you. Man, that's huge. Because I want you to understand something, the power of the resurrection, when a child of God calls upon the name of God, the enemy has zero authority, you understand that? That's the power of the empty tomb. The power of the empty tomb is that when we cry out, when we seek, right, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? And so we have to ask our questions, how many times am I seeking the Lord, right? How, how serious am I I'm about hearing the voice of God first? And I'm telling you, praise is the key. And it's a hard thing to do. There have been seasons of my life, man, and I've shared this before, where I would write on post-it notes and put it on the mirror and just stand there for the first five minutes of the day, just recalibrating my mind, recalibrating my heart. And I'll be honest with you, there were times I was quoting those verses, not really sure about it. But God, I'm gonna proclaim, I'm rather than running to that, running to that, running to this vice, running to that vice, Lord, you're gonna find me, you're gonna find me at your feet. And that's what you see with Hannah. But you gotta love the comfort of a husband. Sometimes, guys, it's just better to keep our mouth shut. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Verse eight, he should've just kept his mouth shut. Look at what happens. This is the realness of the Bible. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than 10 sons? We always wanna turn it on ourselves, don't we, guys? What's your deal? Why are you so sad over there? I'm equivalent to 10 boys. Keep your mouth shut, Elkanah. That's the best thing to do right now. Just hug her, right, guys? Sometimes I'm learning, trying. After 17 years, some of the best thing is to not speak and to just hug. And sometimes even the hug is like, no, just flee is what you need to do. <laughs> wisdom from the Lord, wisdom from the Lord. Give us wisdom from the Lord. Give us wisdom. Here we go, verse nine. <laughs> so Hannah arose after they had finished eating. Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Now, don't miss verse 10, because you're going to see a transition of what God does in the heart of this lady. 
And she was in bitterness of soul. Let's just pause there for a minute. She was in a dark place. She was in a place where she couldn't see the Lord, couldn't see the hands of God, couldn't see the promises of God. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there this morning. Well, you wake up in the morning and man, it's, you gotta work upstream here because you find yourself in a place where you just feel this burden upon you because you can't see what or why God is doing the things that he's doing. We gotta put ourselves in the moment of these individuals. We know the story, put yourself in the moment of this individual. And she was in bitterness of the soul, verse 10, and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Maybe some of you this morning that can say, I can identify with her. Then she made a vow, see this in all of these stories, faith first, see this in all of these stories, that it's, hey God, I'm gonna show first my faith. I can't see it, I don't know, but you're gonna find me taking a step regardless. So she makes a vow. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. She didn't want no girl, she want, I'm just kidding, a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor, what does that mean a Nazarite? No razor shall call, come upon his head. Nazarite, right, set apart. Think about Samson, right, same thing, right? Like she is saying that, hey, I will allow, I will give this child back to you fully. That's what she's saying. And you know how this plays out. Bonehead move number two from the male in the story. Look at verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was what? Drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Can we just talk about this for a moment? <laughs> this is the high priest. This is the preacher, this is the dude that's saying in there, he's supposed to be the closest walk to the Lord. He sees this lady in anguish and he sees her pouring out her heart. Her lips are moving, but really no words. And his first thought is, yo, that girl is drunk. That's interesting. And she comes back to him and says, uh-uh, I ain't been sipping on grandpa's cold medicine. I ain't been doing that. This is the Lord that's working in me. And it's interesting here that the guy who's the high priest even misses it from the pain and the struggle of this lady before the Lord. And look at what happens here. He says, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away, verse 15. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. There might be some of you here that need to do that. You've been carrying something for a long time and the Lord is sitting there like this. She said, I poured out my soul. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman for I have the abundance of my complaint and grief I've spoken until now, verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight, hear this. So the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Don't miss the transition of 10 to 18. Don't miss that. So, so what do you find her doing? You find this woman broken, sorrowful. She has an antagonist that's attacking her consistently and she takes it where to the Lord. 
And in verse 10, it talks about her sorrow. In verse 10, it talks about the anguish of her soul. But here's the picture. Here's the picture. Someone bringing their stuff before the Lord and going, here you go, Lord. Here you go, Lord. I'm not carrying it anymore. It's in your hands. I trust in your sovereignty. And then you come down to verse 18, and her face was no longer sad. It speaks of peace. I'm just going to be real with you. You want to see peace that surpasses understanding? Take these 18 ver- or eight verses right here. You want to see joy beyond circumstances? Take these eight verses right here. That our joy in the Lord is not a thermometer. It's not up and down as we go up and down. Our joy in the Lord is a thermostat. It is set, right? And so as we go up and down, the consistency of the Lord remains. What do you find her doing? You find her praying. You find her praising. You don't find bitterness. You don't find resentment before the Lord. You don't find anger. You don't find, well, God, I gave you a chance. Now I'm going to do my own thing. You don't find that. In all of these stories, what do you find? An individual who do not understand their circumstances, but they still seek the face of God. What does that require? Say it with me. It requires faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So why wouldn't he allow us to be in situations to display faith? I'm sure you prayed for it before. How many of you have prayed for patience? Yeah, be careful for that one, right? Because I used to think God would just zap you with patience, and that ain't what happens. What does he do? He allows circumstances to take place to put you in a situation where you have to display. I'm like, God, just, just give it to me. Don't, don't take me on a field trip. Just, just give it to me. <laughs> yeah, it don't work that way. And so I guarantee you, and every single person in this room, if you know the Lord is your Savior, if you don't, that's the first step of faith He's calling you to. If you know the Lord is your Savior today, I guarantee you there are places and things in front of you that God is calling you to lay down because how easy it is for it to be sitting here and then everything else revolve around it, who God is, the attributes of God, the promises of God, rather than switching it. Here is Hannah who says, I'm going to look through the lens of truth first. I'm going to look through the lens of who my God is, what He's promised, whether I can see it, feel it understand it, you're going to find me on my face praising you. You want to find joy and peace? I challenge you. Fight your flesh upstream. Lay down your agenda. And say, God, I trust you and I'm good with whatever. If you can get to that point, that however this plays out, Lord, I know you're sovereign over it. You're going to find me faithful. If you can get to that point, you're going to see the transition from verse 10 down to verse 18. I believe this is a picture of a lady who laid her burdens down before the Lord. Now let's just finish this out. Last part of chapter one, we know that the story tells us about Eli's two knucklehead sons. Like that's kind of the whole deal here that they're evil in the sight of the Lord. God's gonna raise up someone new. It says in verse 26, and she brought the child to Eli. So now we have, okay, 12 years later, right? He, she weaned him. Uh, uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, believes he was probably about 11, 12 years old when he arrives back at the temple. So now here's a mom fulfilling her promise. She made a vow that, God, you give me a son. I will raise him until the time to hand him over. Now the time has come. So now here's the faith in action. It's one thing to say, God, this is what I'm going to do. It's another thing when God puts you in that situation to say, now I'm going to do it. So what she does, look at what happens. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here, praying to the Lord, not drunk, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. 
Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be for the Lord. So they worship, don't miss that. So they worship the Lord there. They worshiped before he fulfilled the promise. They worship after he fulfilled the promise. They worshiped at the place of questions and doubt and fear. They worshiped there, but then they worshiped when they looked back and said, God, you did it all. Sandwiched in worship. And let me tell you something, man, again, the more and more I work through this series, the more and more I see men and women who are in situations that are hard, that are dark, that are difficult, but man, their eyes are fixed upon the one who has already done what he said he would do. Listen to her prayer, just the first two verses. Go to chapter two, if you would. Many take this prayer kind of as uh, similar to the prayer of Mary uh, after the birth of Jesus. There's some similarities there. It's pretty cool to hear her prayer. Let's just look at the first two verses. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Man, you wanna talk about power? Hear this, I smile at my enemies. Some of you just need to go to work tomorrow and just smile in the face of some people. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. They're not your enemy. I don't mean that. Love them like Jesus. But that's faith. You're here to take me down. I'm going to smile in the face of it because my God is the God of salvation. You're here to cause me to stumble. I'm going to smile at you, enemy. I'm going to smile because my God has already won. Can I get an amen? Do you see this joy? Do you see this peace of, hey, there ain't nothing my day can touch. Right, I, I can go here and go there. It don't matter because eventually all this stuff's gonna pass away. And if I know Jesus as my savior, the greatest promise of all, I'm gonna be in heaven forever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. So bring it on day. I'm gonna smile on your face because my God is the God of salvation. Peace and joy when you get up front of it. And I want you to notice a couple of things with Hannah here, and then we're gonna close. Chapter two, it tells us there, what, in verse 11, Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord. The child stayed and ministered in the temple. 12 through 17 talks about Eli's sons. You get to verse 18. I love that verse in chapter two, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. I love this even as a child. We see the prophecy against Eli's household, verse 22 to verse 36. But in the midst of all of that, you find this verse in 1 Samuel 2, 26. And this child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. You know what Samuel had? Samuel had a mama at home on her knees praying for him. Can I get an amen? I believe that. I believe that. Think about that. Dropping your child off at 12, what was she doing back home? She was praying for her son. She was praying for the plan and the purpose that God had laid before him. Think about the corruption. You're gonna drop a 12-year-old child off in that setting, in a setting where you have two sons of the high priest who are sleeping with women. You have two sons of the high priest who are taking the portions of the food that should be dedicated to the Lord and they're filling themselves up. Yet in that dark setting, you have light. In that dark setting, you have a young man who seeks the Lord and the Bible says God's favor was upon him. We can be surrounded by darkness and that can be some of the greatest seasons of growth when our eyes are fixed upon him. There's a couple things I want you to see with Hannah and then next week we're gonna come back to the calling of Samuel. Number one, her persistency. The Bible says every year she went. And I, I, I just picture that little mean lady beside her, Penina. And I believe she was just chirping the whole time. They're making a pilgrimage, they're walking. And I think she's chirping the whole time. Oh, you're Elkanah's favorite, you can't even give him a child. 
You can't even pass on the lineage of, of his bloodline. And yet in the midst of that, what do you find her doing consistently, persistently? She's going to worship the Lord. It's not gonna stop her worship. She may cry out at worship. She may be in anguish in worship, but you're gonna find her worshiping. That's huge. And then the second thing I would say, not only her persistence, her surrender, this is the hard power. It's one thing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you with this and I'm seeking you in this. It's another thing to literally take your hands off of that. And say, I'm gonna stop trying to manipulate this and fix this. I'm gonna let you do this. And I don't know about you, I've said this before, right? I can start early good by 10 o'clock, I've picked it up again, can I get an amen? So this is your journey of faith. This is your relationship. This is you, the Lord going, oh, Lord, I picked it up again because you feel it. You feel the weight, you feel the burden. You feel like it's on you, uh-uh, it ain't on you. We have one responsibility, one responsibility, and that is to follow the Lord, seek the Lord, walk with him, and then all these things shall be added unto you. I've told you before when I got here, I asked my dad, what do I do? Give me something. How do I lead this body? Three words. Walk with Jesus. I'm like, bro, you gotta give me more than that. Walk with Jesus. Make sure your disciplines are there. Make sure God's word is a fixture in your life. Make sure you're pursuing truth. Make sure that you're seeking the loudest voice of the Lord, not the distractions of this world. Walk with the Lord. And then two other things I see here that can kind of go together. Not only her consistency, her persistence, not only her surrender, don't miss her praise. Don't miss her praise in this. You see her praising the Lord in the midst of anguish. It's one of the hardest things to do when your heart is broken is to lift your eyes off of whatever it is and to say, Lord, I, I trust you even in my brokenness. Man, that's tough. That's the Lord in you. That's the strength of the Lord. That's not you. That's God's spirit that lives within us. And then the third, the fourth one is this, her profession of victory. We talk about stinking thinking, and I know I'm going over time, but hear this for a second. We talk about stinking thinking. Who talks to you more than anybody else in the, in the, in the week? And ladies, if y'all talking 20,000 words outside, I can't even imagine how many words you're speaking inside, right? So, so stinking thinking, what are we saying to ourselves? Hear this. You're proclaiming something throughout the week. Is it coming through the lens of what I feel and my emotions? Because understand those things will lie to you. But are we thinking through the lens of, no, I'm gonna profess victory. I'm gonna proclaim victory because it's already been won. That's what she's doing here. She proclaimed it before it came. She praised before God fulfilled the promise with every head bowed and every eye closed. Next week, we're gonna get into Samuel and the calling that God places upon him. I love the story of chapter three. I don't want you to miss the heart of a mom here that I think is the ripple effect of Samuel. Let me speak to our moms and dads here this morning, right? One of the most powerful things you can do is lay your child before the Lord. You see this picture of 12 years old, and I'm not talking about literally dropping them off somewhere, but pulling your hands back and saying, Lord, they're yours. They're on loan to me. And so, Lord, give me what I need to direct them, to lead them, but ultimately, Lord, to release them, to be in your hands. In the midst of darkness, her soul was in anguish. She still praised. <laughs> Man, that has challenged my heart all week. Like if it all went bad today, temporarily speaking, 
in my family life, in my personal life, in my ministry, if it all went bad today, would I still be on my knees praising you? Knowing that the God of my salvation is secure. As she said, a rock, shifting sand of life, but yeah, the rock. So I ask you this morning in the place that you are, some of you walked in, you can really identify with Hannah in the place that she was at. How does he find us? Does he find us running away? <laughs> Mad, angry, bitter, resentful? Because understand that's the victory of the enemy. Or in our questions and doubts and fears and pain, can we crawl into the lap of our heavenly Father? And say, Lord, just hold me. I'm not asking you to do my list. I'm just asking you to hold me. I wanna feel your embrace. I wanna feel your presence. I wanna feel your joy, your peace. Cause I don't have to carry this anymore. You are the God of this universe. You are sitting upon your throne. You are the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God. I trust you today. I praise you in the midst of my questions. Don't let me miss. Don't let me miss what you're doing in my life in this season. May I not pray just to rush through it. May I pray to be silent and quiet through it. For the noise to fade. For your voice of truth to be heard. I invite you to stand right where you are. We're gonna to go to the Lord in prayer each week. So faithful, our spiritual response team to my left, to your right again. I say this and I, I know pastors would say, I, I mean, the invitation never ends. Let me say that. So it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I know there's, God's gonna be stirring. I've sat out there, right? And I couldn't wait for the dude to finish because I was tired of the stirring. Understand the Holy Spirit is consistent and intentional. And what you find in the life of this lady is a yielding spirit. You see that in all of these characters. Lord, I don't understand, but I yield. I don't understand, but I trust. I don't understand, but may my faith glorify you in this season. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, on this side, we thank you. You have given us your word. 66 books of truth. You have given us your word. Lord, may we walk in that. May we seek it. May it be a fixture in our lives, recognizing that the distractions are there. Fix our eyes upon you, Lord, in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, how easy it is to get caught up in the calendars of our kids and school and activities and sports, all those things are temporary. Lord, fix our eyes upon you for the things are eternal. In whatever season we're in, may you find us praising you, the God of our salvation for what can't be touched what can't be taken. We are sealed by your Holy Spirit. We give you praise for nothing else today. We give you praise for Jesus and for what he's done. May we be quick to share the hope that lies within us. We pray we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said. May you have a wonderful week. Marriage counseling in the corners here when you go out, lobby A, lobby C. Amber and I will be there to help anyone in their struggle. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning.